This is your morning wake-up call on Sports Country. Grab a cup of coffee and hang with us every weekday morning for the latest news, sports, and other things going on around the world and in your backyard. Now, here's your host, Gene Gums. Well, good morning, everybody. It is six minutes past nine o'clock here in Middletown, Connecticut. Welcome to a Friday morning wake-up call. TGIF, we made it to another week here on Sports Country Radio. Thanks for giving us a few minutes of your time this morning. A cold day here in the Northeast. It's only 13 degrees in uh, Middletown this morning. A chilly one. We've got a, a storm coming this weekend. Boy, the, the weather pattern does not look too promising. Um Matter of fact, doesn't look too promising across the country. They're talking about uh, snow in Texas this weekend. Uh, my wife has family down in uh, El Paso, Texas, and they're talking about snow down there as well. So uh, it is going to be a uh, a tough weekend here across the United States. But uh, plenty of sports on television this weekend, and uh, uh, lots of college basketball. So we've got a lot to talk about this morning, uh, and uh, we'll get to that uh, starting now. And and one of the moves the uh, Ivy League has made, and this is I was really glad to see this. Now, the Ivy League has had a long-standing policy where they don't allow their athletes, even if they have another year of eligibility, at most schools you can be enrolled as a full-time graduate student and still play. Well, the Ivy League has had a long-standing policy that that's not allowed. They are going to break that next year. Uh, it's going to be a one-time exemption for kids that did not get a chance to play this year. You know, the Ivy League uh, became the only Division One conference in this year that canceled all their women's sports, including men's and women's basketball. So now the NC or now the uh, university presidents in the Ivy League have said that for next year, if the student stays at the same school, so if you're at Yale and then you decide to go to graduate school at Yale you can still play next year as a graduate student. Never been done before in the Ivy League, and they said it will be just a one-time exemption. And they did this because the Student Athletic Advisory Council had asked the presidents to make the change. You know, and they said they did it because of the pandemic. I, I think it's great. You know, and the NCAA has, you know, been giving everybody another year of eligibility. Like, this year is kind of a – a pass. It doesn't really count, which is why, for instance, uh, Sailor Poffenberger, uh, the high school kid, actually came to UConn to play. Um, and I've just been told I have no audio on. Uh, hmm. We have no audio on Facebook, so we will work on that for a second. Not sure what the problem is. So uh, please uh, give me a moment and we'll we'll work on that as I continue to talk. Uh, yeah, they became, you know, the only one to to cancel it. So I think it's a great move for the Ivy League. I don't understand, you know, I mean, I get it. I never kind of understood why they do that to begin with. Um, you know, if, if you're eligible um, under NCAA rules, I never understood why you couldn't um, otherwise. 
So, you know, I, you know, but now I think this was a common sense move by the Ivy League. I, th- I think it's a, a great idea, and hopefully um, some kids will take advantage of it. And, and again, uh, you know, I don't, I don't get it uh, why they did it before, but uh, a good move by them. So that's number one this morning. Uh, number two, the Boston Red Sox. You know, and, and as you heard yesterday, I am not uh, overjoyed at what they have done as far as Andrew Benintendi goes. Um, after having 24 hours to think about it, you know, I feel a little bit differently uh, in that I think, and I, and I think it was Pete Abraham that kind of helped me with that. Um, because I have come around to it in the sense that, as Pete Abraham pointed out in the Boston Globe, we have to we have to give this a chance to play out. We have to wait and see. It is very possible that this will turn out to be a great trade for the Red Sox. We have to remember that they got or, or they're going to get five players in return. Yes, the the you know, the initial take wasn't exactly overwhelming, you know, two guys that have the potential word wrapped around their their name. I'd like a little bit more than potential, but that you know, and I would have liked you know, some major league ready pitching. But as Pete pointed out, and I have to give him credit, and I think we have our sound back now on Facebook. At least it appears that we do. Um, So uh, thanks for hanging in there with us. Um, You know, we have to, we have to let this, we have to let this play out. So I'll give the Red Sox a pass. And until we see who these players to be named later on, and supposedly the Red Sox set this trade up in such a way so that as the season started, they could evaluate the talent from the Mets and the Royals and have a better sense of what they wanted to get out of this. And 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 I don't know. By the way, the other you know the other thing they don't say is whether Benintendi's performance will play into the available players to be named later that the Red Sox can get from the Kansas City Royals. They're going to get two players from the Royals and one from the Mets. So uh, you know, so I'll give. I'll give Hyam Bloom a pass on the Benintendi thing. I'll try not to be quite as upset because I just think, I think that what Benintendi did in 2019, where he appeared to take a step back from what he did in 2018, uh, I thought it was a blip on the radar. And last, what he did last year, you can't count what anybody did in the pandemic last year. I'm sorry, you just can't. You know, and what did he go two for 39 or something like that? How many guys in Major League Baseball, as I said yesterday, there's guys in the Hall of Fame that had stretches like that during a season that are still in the Hall of Fame. You know, you're going to have moments like that. You know, at any level, whether it's in the pros, whether it's in high school, whether it's in college, you're just going to have times where you're just not seeing the ball well. 
But I still thought that, you know, Benny had plenty left in the tank, and, and I was disappointed that we're not going to get to see it. And he may flourish in Kansas City. He's a guy that doesn't like being in the spotlight. He was always kind of uncomfortable, I think, with the adoration that he got from the fans in Boston. So, you know, this Kansas City may be the perfect place for him. And by the way, I love Kansas. I, I love the city. Kansas City's a great, great place. And I love that ballpark. It's old. But I love that ballpark. I love it a lot. I've, I've seen many games there. Uh, so he may do well. But I wanted to see if, you know, if he could bounce back for the Red Sox. And Ben Intendi, in an interview yesterday that he gave, uh, said, look, you know, one of the reasons why he regressed a little in 2019 was that he made a conscious decision to change his approach at the plate. He said it was an effort on my part to get the ball in the air more. He said at the time, that's where the game was. You know, he, he thought that that's what he needed to do because that's what everybody else was doing, as I rail about all the time. Launch angle and exit velocity. I get pissed off when I'm watching a game and social media and somebody will say, oh, you know, and, and they'll get a home run. And then, you know, one of the writers will immediately tweet out what the exit velocity and the launch angle was. I don't care. You know, that's the problem is that these and I, I don't want to sound like the grandpa that's, you know, get off my lawn. But that's the problem that we have now. With what's going on with these new stats for a better way of putting it the, the new the analytics of look a different way of looking at the game so now we're embracing things like launch angle and exit velocity that like, look all i care about is did the ball it did it go out yes you know what there's a guy that could hit a ball you know just as hard as somebody hits one out and it doesn't it, it, at the end of the day i don't care how hard you hit it i don't care what you know what the launch? All I care was, what did you did you did you get a base hit? Did you drive in a run? Did it go over? The, that's all I care about. It's all that matters. So what you've done is is in Benintendi acknowledged this because he sees everybody worrying about exit velocity and launch angle. That's what he concentrated on. So what happened? His batting average dropped about fifteen points or so, and his strikeouts went up. He struck out one hundred and forty times in two thousand and nineteen, a career high. And it's because he was trying to change his swing to match what was going on in the game. That's the problem. You know, let's start worrying about and, and he said now, he said he thinks the game might be getting away from that a little bit now. You know, it was all about power then. Now he's sensing, at least that's the the, the inference I got for this uh, this article that was written by Julian McWilliams in the Boston Globe. He said Globe, he said it might be getting away from that. And if that's the case, you know, then maybe he goes back to what he was doing in 20, 2018 and rips the ball again. The biggest challenge that, that Benintendi is going to have in Kansas City is he no longer will have that left field wall. You know, if, if that inside outstroke that he's got that, you know, he could bang the ball off the wall at Fenway, he does that in Kansas City, that's a can of corn in left field. That's an out, you know. So there's going to have to be some adjustment on his part that way, but uh, it was good to hear him acknowledge that that's what happened. And the other thing we find out is that he actually had, in addition to the other injuries he had last year, 
he may have actually had broken ribs. You know, so, uh, you know, it sounds like it was uh, a tough year. So two for 39 and before they shut it down and it means nothing, nothing. And along the lines of numbers that mean nothing, the Red Sox made a signing yesterday. They signed Marwin Gonzalez to a one-year, $3 million contract. Now, look, uh, Marwin Gonzalez is one of the most versatile players in baseball right now. You could put him up with, uh, well, Kike Hernandez, another guy the Red Sox signed, very versatile player, can play anywhere in the infield, can play the outfield. Marwin Gonzalez, the same thing. Um, you know, they're kind of that the, the Brock Holt mode that the Red Sox had, um, you know, for a number of years. Um, so he signs a deal for one year, three million bucks. It's got some incentives in the deal that could increase it by another million. He just finished a two year contract with the Minnesota Twins. He signed a two year, $21 million deal. So think about that. He was making approximately $10.5 million last year from the Minnesota Twins. He had a bad pandemic season. He hit 211 last year, five homers in 53 games. So instead of making $10.5 million, he's going to make $3 million from the Red Sox, maybe four if he has a great year. Think about that. You know, so, you know, that pandemic season, and again, to me, I have a hard time counting that against guys. You know, the other part of it is, think about this. Guys were seeing pitchers last year, you know, and and seeing guys that they had never seen before because of what was going on with the pandemic. We saw so many first-year guys or so many, you know, guys that were minor leaguers that maybe got a cup of coffee in the past were now all of a sudden getting thrown in games. You know, it was tougher for the hitters last year because they didn't really know what to expect from the pitchers. So I think I think that played into it as well. So he did not have a great year last year. So he takes a big pay cut. He signs with the Red Sox. And I would think that this signing slams the door on any chance the Red Sox are going to bring back Jackie Bradley Jr. I wanted them to do it, but it doesn't look like it's going to happen. Why? Well, because Marwin Gonzalez can play the outfield. Kike Hernandez can play the outfield. And, you know, I think the idea for Gonzalez is going to be it's going to be a platoon situation with Bobby Dahlbeck at first base. That's my guess. You know, the other thing Gonzalez has going for him is he's a switch hitter. He's a switch hitter, by the way, that hits equally well from both sides of the plate. He's hit uh, 261 from the right in his career with a uh, with an OPS of uh, 732. And he has hit 261 from the right, or from the left, I mean. 261, 723 OPS. I mean, it's almost identical. He's not a guy with a lot of power. He's got 96 career home runs and, you know, 3,000 at-bats, so he's not going to hit a ton of home runs. He did hit, have one year. And this was, this was my thing yesterday. And I'm not trying to dump on Marwin Gonzalez, okay? But... Marvin Gonzalez's best year, folks, was the year the Astros cheated with the garbage can. He had 303 that year. 303. Folks, that is 25 points higher than he hit at any 
other point in his career, and that was when he hit 279 in 2015 and just 344 at bats. The year before he hit 303, he hit 254. He hit 50 points higher the year they cheated. The following year, when they supposedly weren't cheating anymore, guess what he did? He hit 247. <laughs> you know, so, uh, you know, coincidence? I think not. You know, he had 264 in 2019 in a in a full year with the uh, Twins in 114 games. He's a 264 hitter. You know what? For a re- for a utility guy, I'll take that. But people that look at you know, we're looking at his numbers. Oh yeah, 2017. Well, he cheated. That whole team cheated. And when you look at his numbers and see he hit 50 points lower on either side of that year. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out something funky was going on. So if you think you're getting the 23 homers and 90 runs batted in that you got in 2017 and a 907 OPS, uh, forget it. By the way, his his career best OPS other than that was 759. That year he hit 279 in 2015. This guy is not, you know, you're not getting a 2017 Marwin Gonzalez. If you do, great, but I wouldn't be betting the farm on that one. But now the Red Sox now have a lot of versatility, and somebody made the comment last night. <laughs> I can't remember who it was, but they said that the Red Sox lineup every day is going to be like a Sudoku puzzle. You know, this is going to be one of those where we're going to see a different lineup damn near every day. This isn't going to be one of those where – you know, Alex Cora just rubber stamps the lineup and you see the same thing day after day after day. You know, they're already planning on a, a platoon with Dahlbeck. They already don't know what's going to happen at second base. Kike Hernandez is probably going to be the everyday second baseman, but Christian Arroyo is going to be in the mix. Uh, now with the outfield, with Benintendi gone, you know, uh, you're going to have Alex Verdugo. We know Alex Verdugo will be out there every day. Other than that, some days it may be Hunter Renfro out there along with Hernandez, or it may be, uh, you know, Hernandez and Gonzalez, or, you know, who knows? It's Every day it's going to be different. You know, the only guys you can probably pencil in the, in the Red Sox lineup damn near every day, there's going to be a few guys. There's going to be Verdugo. I would think he'll be in the lineup every day. Raphael Devers, you know, unless they're going to give him a day off, he's playing every day. Bogarts, we know he's playing every day. And Christian Vasquez, he's probably going to catch 120, 125, 130 games, somewhere in there. Those are the only guys we're going to be able to count on in that lineup. Everything else, you know, it's going to be put it in a hat and mix it up. You know, and I and and I hope that this team, you know, I'm trying to be optimistic, you know, but as Pete Abraham pointed out in his article this morning, when he said, look, we've got to We've got to let this whole thing with Benintendi play out and see what the other players are. And it may be a few years before we know whether the Red Sox did the right thing or not. You know, if Benintendi goes out to Kansas City and becomes an all-star every year and, you know, and the Red Sox get nothing out of this, you know, then they're going to look like idiots. And, and as I said yesterday, this, these are the kinds of decisions that can cost guys their jobs. You know, what what Heimblum has done, you know, they brought him in there with a mission. Well, 
that's all well and good. But what he has done better work. Because in the last 12 months, they have traded Mookie Betts, David Price, Mitch Moreland, Heath Embry, Brandon Workman, and now Andrew Benintendi. And by the way, they were also contemplating trading Christian Vasquez. And they let Jackie Bradley Jr. go. And by the way, if they were going to not re-sign Jackie Bradley, shouldn't they have traded him last year when they saw the season was a train wreck and he was hitting the ball well? They could have gotten a lot more. They could have gotten something. Now they're going to get nothing for Bradley when he signs somewhere else. But shouldn't they, you know, shouldn't they have done something about trading him last year if you knew you weren't going to resign him? See, those are the kinds of things that, that I that I worry about with Bloom. But he has traded away some huge players. And we got a train wreck of a season last year. And again, we can't really count that because of the mess. But I'll tell you what, if this team wins 75 games this year, it's going to be a problem. You know, uh, Red Sox fans aren't going to stand for that. You know, it's going to be a problem. You know, and you're going to have a bunch of guys on this team that fans couldn't pick out of a lineup. You know, it was routine where if you put a picture up on a screen, they didn't have to have a caption. You knew who it was, right? You look at this Red Sox team now. They put up a picture of Christian Arroyo. I couldn't pick him out of a lineup. Bobby Dahlbeck, yeah, I've seen him a little bit. I couldn't pick him out either. I have no idea. Hunter Renfro, no idea. You know, you th- think about some of these guys. Kike Hernandez, you know, he was on the West Coast. We, you know, you don't see him that often. You probably wouldn't know him if you ran across him in the street either. That wasn't the case 12 months ago. So I hope for Heim Bloom's sake and I hope for Red Sox fans' sake it works. But the shuffling continues. Uh, a couple other baseball notes. Uh, it looks like the Toronto Blue Jays are going to be playing a good portion of their season at their spring training home in Florida. Um, because as of right now, They still can't play games in Toronto. The NBA's Toronto Raptors have announced that they are going to be playing the rest of the NBA season in Tampa, where they are now, so they are not going back. It looks like if if the Blue Jays are lucky, it might be after the All-Star break. Once the whole, you know, vaccine thing finishes rolling out and everybody gets the numbers where they want them to be by the middle of the summer, maybe they get a chance to go back home. But for now, they're going to be playing at their spring training facility uh, in the Tampa area. Now, they renovated it just before the pandemic, so they've barely used it. Um, of course, they played in Buffalo last year, but with the major, the minor leagues coming back, they can't do that this year. Um, so as of right now, they'll be playing down in Florida. And you know what's going to be funny? They'll, they'll allow fans at those games. I would imagine it's in Florida. Everybody, Florida doesn't care about anything. What would be funny is if they outdrew the Tampa Bay Rays. <laughs> you know what? You could you could make the case that the Toronto Blue Jays have a sexier roster. Matter of fact, I, they do. I mean, with some of these guys that they've signed and being able to see Vlad Jr. and, uh, you know, Kevin Biggio. I mean, they've got a, a good young roster, and, and they, they've been very active in the free agent season. You could make the case that there would be a more attractive game to watch than watching the Rays. 
Um, Jed Lowry has re-signed with the Oakland Athletics. Uh, Lowry, of course, who signed a contract with the Mets, a two-year deal a couple years ago, had played a grand total of nine games for them because of knee injuries. Uh, has signed. It's a deal. It's a minor league contract. So, you know, he's going to go to spring training. I, I don't know if Jed Lowry's knee is that bad that he literally could only play nine games the last two years. I don't know how he plays. This is kind of the end of his career. And I love Jed Lowry, by the way. Always been a fan. Um, he, matter of fact, he started his career with the Red Sox and has played for Houston a couple of times. This is going to be his uh, third time around with the A's if he makes the team. He was with them for a couple of years. Then he went to Houston. Then he went back for a few more years. And then uh, he was with the Mets. Um, but I've always been a big fan. But this, the end of his career is shaping up to be just the same way that Dustin Pedroia's was. You know, that knee seems like it's so bad that it might preclude him from from playing anymore. I hope that's not the case, uh, but doesn't sound good. Uh, one other note, uh, uh, Brad Brock has been designated for assignment by the Mets. Uh, they did that yesterday because they had to make room on the 40-man roster for uh, Jonathan VR, who they signed uh, the other day. Uh, Brock's a guy who's uh, – I watched his entire career. He played at uh, Monmouth College, now Monmouth University in New Jersey, kid was nasty he was in uh, the northeast conference and he was really really good uh was a great reliever for the baltimore orioles for a while uh eventually ended up uh in atlanta and then with the mets he didn't have a great year last year he's 35 years old the biggest concern with him is is that his uh, fastball velocity has dropped off three or four miles an hour in the last couple of years so don't know what he's got left i mean his career numbers are are good uh, but they've designated for assignment. If they're not able to work out a trade, he, he will become a free agent and uh, available for anybody to pick up. So uh, that is the latest news out of New York. It is 31 minutes past the hour. We're going to take a break. We're back in a minute. You're listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country. 33 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to The Wake Up Call here on a Friday morning. I was just looking at the uh, uh, the weather forecast on today's show uh, while we were on break. Oof. Man, I'll tell you what, it looks like everybody across the Midwest and, as I said, all the way down into Texas, I can't – they're talking about snow and ice in El Paso, Texas. That can't be – That's they can't get that down there very often, I wouldn't think. Uh, I've been to El Paso a few times, and I just – I don't – that just doesn't seem like a place that would get a lot of snow. Uh, but uh, we're supposed to get a mess up here in the Northeast Sunday into Monday, and then and there's another storm coming Tuesday and another storm coming Thursday. And here's what I know. I know that baseball is almost here. Spring training starts in just a few days. Pitchers and catchers report next week, uh, and I can't wait. Uh, Major League Baseball has announced that the first games of the 2021 season are going to be on April the 1st because they've uh, they revised the schedule a little bit. It'll be the Yankees hosting Toronto and Detroit hosting Cleveland. Those will be the first two games played on opening day on April 1st. By the way, that Tigers-Yankees game is going to be on ESPN. ESPN is going to have four games on that day. Uh, they're going to have games at 1, 4, 7, and 10. Uh, the Tigers-Yankees, Dodgers-Rockies at 4, Mets and the Nationals at 7, and then the White Sox at the Angels uh, at 10 o'clock. But, by the way, the Red Sox open at home. Baltimore at Boston on April 1st. I, you know, I'm sure they're probably not going to allow fans for the opening game, but man, I always, I always, oh, Boston games on April the first. I used to hate 
go into early games at Fenway. It's just so cold there. Um, one other uh, thing from uh, Major League Baseball, and th- this had been talked about earlier. Uh, there was a committee that was put together by the Society for American Baseball Research, uh, and they have recommended to Major League Baseball that seven Nash, uh, Negro Leagues be certified as major leagues uh, for the purposes of the Hall of Fame and, and career statistics, those kind of things, uh, starting with leagues uh, from, that began in 1920 all the way to 1932, the uh, Negro National League, uh, both one and two, the Negro American League, the Eastern Colored League, the American Negro League, and then the East-West League as well as the Negro Southern League, which played in 1932. Uh, what, what does that mean? Well, what what happens is is that if Major League Baseball does this, and they are working with the Elias Sports Bureau uh, to start the review of which you know if these are the the proper leagues, well, what does it mean? Well, it means that uh, Willie Mays will have 17 hits added on to his career record because he played uh, one year with the Birmingham Black Barons uh, in 1948. Um, Monty Irvin. Uh, his career batting average could go from 293 to 304 uh, because he played in nine Negro League seasons. Satchel Page is he's in the Hall of Fame, right? He only has 28 career Major League wins because he was in his 40s before he got to the majors. If the leagues that they're talking about uh, certifying happens, he adds 146 wins to his total. Josh Gibson's 441 batting average in 1943 would become – the highest batting average in any season ever that would break Hugh Duffy's record of 440 from 1894 uh, if if this happens. Um, now, the only question with that is, is, you know, Gibson did do that, but it was only in 80 games. And, you know, with modern standards, that wouldn't be counted. So we'll have to see what they decide to do with that. But it's kind of cool, you know, I mean, and you could say, well, it's apples and oranges. You know, what do we know? Here's what we know from, and, and a lot of this is all anecdotal evidence, folks, right? Obviously, you know, none of us were alive to see this happen. But the anecdotal evidence is anybody that was around that said these major leagues, these guys playing in the, the Negro Leagues were just as good as any white player, if not better. You know, and only a handful of those guys that played in the Negro Leagues you know, you know, got into the majors and had a chance to really show their stuff. And unfortunately for some of them, it was towards the end of their careers. Now, Jackie Robinson's not that case, but uh, Roy Campanella. But, you know, but there are guys that like Satchel Page. You know, you only got to see the end of his career. You didn't get to see Satchel when he was at his prime. You didn't get to see Josh Gibson play one game in Major League Baseball. Not one. You know, guys like Cool Papa Bell. So many guys that they talk about that were just legends. And these were these were stories that were told by white major leaguers. These weren't just stories, you know, anecdotal stories from other black players. These were guys that used to, you know, played in barnstorming games against them or saw them play. Said these guys were unbelievable. So it's not apples and oranges. You know, I think it is apples to apples and but we have to go with it's mostly anecdotal evidence, but the, the good news is is one of the things about the Society for American Baseball Research I always liked is the amount of research that they did. I was a member of Sabre for a long time. I gave up my Sabre membership when, unfortunately, I felt like Sabre was the leading proponent for analytics. 
and 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 they were. And the fact that I thought that what Saber was doing was leading to the was was to the detriment of the game, you know, trying to reinvent the wheel. That's what you know. The thing that I look at with analytics is like you know you're trying to change the way the game is played. You're trying to change the way the game is viewed. And it, to me, it bothered me. So I could not, in good conscience, be railing about analytics and railing about everything else and still be a member of Sabre. So I gave up my membership. But this is a case, This is the kind of stuff that I admire, the, the, the amount of digging and the research they did to find all the statistics, to find the box scores, and to, to present a case like this. This is what Sabre was all about, and that is why I got involved with it to begin with. By the way, one of my high school classmates, Mark Armour, uh, is currently the uh, president of the board of directors for Sabre. So uh, uh, just give a shout-out to him. And he was part of the group uh, that helped uh, make this presentation to Major League Baseball. So uh, they're going to work with Elias Sports Bureau, and, uh, you know, we'll see. I mean, but but it's kind of cool. I mean, you know, a guy like, like I said, Satchel Page. I would have loved to have seen Satchel Page. You know, all I get to see is the old uh, newsreel photos, right? But uh, I would have loved to have had a chance to see him pitch in his prime because from all accounts – uh, he was as good as it gets. He could he could tell you what was coming, and it wouldn't matter. You still couldn't hit it. So, all right, let's move on from there. By the way, happy birthday to Bill Russell. Bill Russell, uh, 87 years old today. And uh, I didn't get to see Bill Russell play much because I was a kid when he retired. But, you know, you talk about the greatest players of all time, you know, and everybody talks about whether it's LeBron, whether it's Michael Jordan, Magic Johnson, Larry Bird, whoever, you know, you can't talk about the best players in the history of the NBA without talking about Bill Russell. Bill Russell, not only was he a great offensive force, Bill Russell may have been the most dominant defensive player in the history of the NBA. Uh, He played, you know, one of the things that I always admired about Bill Russell, and he talked about this a lot, you know, he loved blocking shots. But to him, it wasn't enough to block a shot just to, like, you know, get that crap out of here and, you know, swat it out of bounds. Bill Russell, when he blocked shots, always tried to block the shot back into play to try to block it towards a teammate to start the ball going the other way. He wasn't just interested in blocking the shot. He was interested in blocking the shot to his team's benefit not just denying the basket, but making sure that you got a fast break going the other way. Uh, so, you know, again, 87 years old, and by the way, one of the greatest laughs ever, <laughs> ever. Uh, so, anyway, he's 87 years old today, uh, uh, and it wasn't quite a birthday present for the Celtics because uh, his birthday's today, but the Celtics win last night. They beat the Toronto Raptors 120-106, to and it wasn't – this was what was great about this game last night. It wasn't the usual cast of characters that got it going for the Celtics. Uh, Semi Ojale last night with a career-high 24 points, 8 of 12 shooting. Uh, he was 6 of 8 from 3. Uh, he led the way for the Seas last night. Uh, Peyton Pritchard, thirty minute, or 29 minutes off the bench, scores 20 points. He shoots 6 of 10 from the field, 6 of 8 from 3. Think about that. These are two guys that, you know, they, they they combined to shoot 12 or 16 from three-point range last night, uh, combined for 44 points. But Jason Tatum, 
17 points. Jalen Brown only had 12 points last night. Jalen Brown was 3 for 14 from the field. Jason Tatum was 5 for 13. And it was one of those cases last night where the Toronto Raptors said, we're, you, you're going to have to have somebody else beat us because we're not going to let the big two beat us. And so give Tatum a lot of credit. Give Jalen Brown a lot of credit. When they realized what was going on in this game, they started passing up shots. Tatum had nine assists last night. Jalen Brown had 10 assists last night. So the guys that are normally one and two in scoring were one and two in, on assists in the team last night, deferring to their teammates when they realized they couldn't get their shots off. Uh, Kemba Walker, strong game last night. One of his best games since coming back from uh, the surgery on the knee. Uh, played 30 minutes last night, 21 points. So that was a, a good sign for the Celtics. Uh, they did get out-rebounded last night, um, but that's going to be a problem for this team. And unless they make some kind of an adjustment to get themselves a big man, uh, you know, because I'm sorry. I mean, Daniel Tice is a good role player. Daniel Tice should not be playing 27 minutes a game, in my opinion. You know, uh, I'm just, you know, and uh, – he is not the force in the middle that they need. He doesn't rebound well enough. Yes, he can block shots, you know, and, and he's pretty efficient around the basket. But this is a guy, you know, you need somebody to get more than five rebounds a night. Your big man's got to get more than that. Tristan Thompson did a great job last night. 19 minutes, he had 11 rebounds. Now, I think he maybe needs to see some more time. So, anyway, good win for the Celtics last night. A win that they needed because, uh, look, they have been uh, bleeding lately. They're, they've got their record back up to 13-11. and 11. They are currently the uh, number four seed in the Eastern Conference behind the Sixers, the Bucks, uh, and the Brooklyn Nets, although they're close with the Brooklyn Nets. But uh, uh, it's been a tough run for the Celtics. They have not been able to find any, uh, any consistency. That five-game road trip was not kind to of them. They went two and three on the road trip. Uh, so uh, back home for some home cooking. They play again tonight. They host the Detroit Pistons uh, tonight. So a back-to-back game. will be interesting to see if Kemba Walker plays tonight. They've been trying to uh, uh, be careful with that knee. So we'll see if they allow him to play back-to-back nights. Pistons come in 6-19. and 19, So all things being equal, you would think, you would think, uh, that this will be uh, an easy win for the Celtics tonight. Uh, one other thing out of Boston, the Boston Bruins, uh, working with the NHL, have decided to postpone the ceremony they had scheduled for Willie O'Ree, who was the first black hockey player in the NHL. They've asked him to postpone the ceremony until January the 18th of 2022. It'll be 64 years to the day uh, that he became the league's first black player, and they want to do it um, because there's, you know, they want to do that because there's no fans. You know, it was supposed to be next Thursday night before a game against the New Jersey Devils, but uh, there's only five t- teams that are allowing fans this year, and Boston's not one of them. And and I think this is a great move. I really do. If you're going to honor a guy like this, and you know, uh, do it when there's fans there. You know, he's he's in his, you know, mid-80s, but he's still working for the NHL as a diversity ambassador. He's been doing that for the last 20 years. So uh, I think it's a good move by the Boston Bruins and the NHL. So uh, that ceremony has been moved to uh, next year. It is 47 minutes past the hour. we got to take another break. We're back in a minute. You're listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country. 
It's 49 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to the Wake Up Call. By the way, we've got high school basketball coming up tonight here on Sports Country Radio. It's actually an early start, 5.30 start. Uh, Morgan High School of Clinton will take on the uh, Cromwell Panthers. Uh, both teams, I believe, come in at 1-0, and so we will have that game for you at 5.30 tonight. Looking forward to it. Uh, our first of uh, about 15 games here on Sports Country Radio. We were going to do Mercy High School uh, games as well. Mercy has decided that uh, they are not going to allow uh, media into their game. So no radio. They're not going to allow reporters in or anything uh, because uh, they're just trying to be extra cautious. And, you know, look, I can't I can't uh, argue with that at all. So anyway, uh, so we'll have a game tonight. Cromwell High School, 530. Hope you can check it out here on Sports Country Radio. Uh, NASCAR getting started this weekend. The Daytona 500 this weekend. It's going to be uh, <laughs> probably probably snowing here. Uh, and across the country, but uh, they're going to be playing or they're going to be racing uh, in Daytona. They had the Daytona duels last night, which is supposed to uh, set the rest of the qualifying field. They had already had uh, the top two drivers, Alex Bowman and William Byron, uh, based on qualifying, were the uh, in the one and two position, and then the duels were raced last night to set the rest of the field. They have two 150-lap uh, races. Uh, and it did not go well for the pole sitters last night. Alex Bowman and Byron both ran into trouble last night. Uh, Bowman's engine appeared to have blown in the first dual race last night, and he felt it was going away, and so he, rather than blow the engine up completely, he pulled into the pits, they pulled it off, and they're going to try to repair it. But if they have to replace the engine as a whole – that would mean that Bowman has to move to the back of the field. And then William Byron was in the second race last night, and he got caught up in a wreck, means he has to go to his backup car. So that means he has to go to the back of the field. So Hendrick Motorsports, which looked like it had the uh, the two positions on the front row, could both be at the back of the pack based on what happened last night. So as of right now, uh, Eric Almarola knows for sure he's going to be in that front row because he won the first dual race last night, so he will get one of those spots. Uh, and uh, the second one will be open if Bowman has to go back. And if that happens, Austin Dillon, who won the second dual race, will get the second position. By the way, Bubba Wallace, his first race last night for his new team that's co-owned by uh, Denny Hamlin and Michael Jordan, uh, did pretty well. In the second dual race, he ended up finishing second, so he is going to finish near or start near the front of the field uh, as well. So a lot of people obviously very curious as to how well he is going to do this year. Middletown's Joey Logano finished fourth uh, in the first dual race. He right now will be in the sixth starting position uh, for the race on Sunday. Uh, golf, Patrick Cantlay fired a 62 last night. He tied or tied. Whew. My, my mouth's not working quite right this morning, not enough coffee. Uh, he tied the course record at Pebble Beach, and he has the first-round lead at the PGA uh, event, the Pebble Beach Pro-Am. Jordan Spieth, who played very well last week and is trying to resurrect his game. He has not won in a few years now, and matter of fact, has been missing cuts. He's been uncharacteristically bad the last couple of years. Uh, played well last week, played well again yesterday. He fired a 64 um, so he is, uh, in third position right now. Um, Hend Hendrick Norlander also with a good round. He fired a 64 as well. 
And 19-year-old Aske Batia also with a 64. Uh, but they all played on the easy course yesterday. Of course, the Pebble Beach Pro-Am has played at two courses. It has played at Pebble, and it's also played at Spyglass, which is much, much tougher. Uh, so uh, we'll see if they are going to be able to repeat that performance on uh, Spyglass today. Phil Mickelson, by the way, who has won that event five times, uh, opened with a 74 at Spyglass. He's going to have to have a good round today uh, to make the cut. Ricky Fowler struggled as well. Uh, he's in a tie for 75th right now after uh, finishing with a 72. So uh, Patrick Cantley, though, ties the course record yesterday at Pebble Beach. Uh, Urban Meyer, of course, just recently got hired for by the Jacksonville Jaguars and was caught up in that scandal when he was the coach at Ohio State when he come to find out that he had an assistant coach that was abusing his wife and he kind of turned a blind eye to it. Well, he has just hired a guy at Jacksonville that has people raising eyebrows. He just hired Chris Doyle as the director of sport performance. Basically, he's going to be their strength trainer. Uh, and Doyle is a guy that just left Iowa, the University of Iowa, under a cloud of suspicion because he was uh, alleged to be a racist, that he did not treat black players the same way he treated white players. And uh, he recently left there and um, settled with the university, for, I think, for like a million-dollar buyout or something, and is embroiled in the middle of a lawsuit uh, that named the University of Iowa as well as him as the defendants. Uh, well, he has just been hired by Meyer to be on his staff at Jacksonville. And, you know... Uh, you know, you, I'm sorry, folks. He may be a great football coach, but you just can't fix stupid. You know, I mean, even if you like the guy, even if you like, even if as Urban Meyer, you like Doyle, that, you know, you've known him for a long time or whatever. The optics on this are so bad, it's not even funny. I mean, the optics are awful. How can you hire this guy? It's just, it's just idiotic. Um, this is a feel-good story from last year. Remember Taylor Henke, the kid that uh, ended up coming on and being a the pandemic quarterback for the Washington Redskins, ended up getting a couple of starts? Well, guess what? Uh, <laughs> he has just re-signed with the Washington Redskins. He hired, signed a two-year deal for $8.75 million. Uh, this is a kid that was out of football. He was taking classes online to finish his degree uh, when the Redskins called him late in the season and said, hey, would you come just be our emergency quarterback and ended up starting a couple of games. Uh, and matter of fact, including the playoff game when they uh, lost to the eventual champion Tampa Bay Bucks in the wild card round. Uh, went 26 for thir or for 44 with for 306 yards in that game. So uh, that has earned him an $8 million payday, so good for him. That's a feel-good story. And uh, where it is, by the way, Tampa, Tampa Bay has announced that uh, – Brady is having surgery. Uh, he is going to have knee surgery. Uh, they called it a cleanup. Ben Volan from the Boston Globe disagrees that he checked with his sources and supposedly whatever's going on with it needs more than a cleanup. That he may have been playing with a lot more pain uh, and a lot more damage in that plant leg on the same knee that he had had uh, surgery on before than we knew. And if that's the case... That's, that makes what he did this year even more remarkable. So stay tuned. We'll see. That's going to do it for us here this morning. We'll be back Monday with another edition of the Wake Up Call. Hope you can join us for high school basketball, 530 today, Morgan at Cromwell. We leave you this morning with some music from the Marshall Tucker Band, one of my favorites. Heard it in a love song. We'll see you Monday. You've been listening to the Wake Up Call on Sports Country.